You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man, it is a loaded crunch time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The Astros hired a new GM. Aaron Rodgers to the Jets? Previews of college basketball? Talking the Pels? Are are you not entertained? Producer, co-host is the one and only Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon. Happy Thursday. The hair's looking slick. How are you, sir? Doing absolutely phenomenal. Did you put something in it? No. Got a nice little glow, nice nice little shine. It's because I, I wet it this morning, because if you looked at it, it, it looked like a tumbleweed. Hmm. So I'll wet it, and then... I was about to say, I can tell you actually tried this morning. <laughs> yeah, so right. So very, just be like, eh, put on a hat. Very, very <laughs> impressive. Yes. Very impressive. Um, so no, the, the top story today, obviously, is the Houston Astros finally hiring a, a new general manager. Uh, they have hired Dana Brown, who was a scouting executive for the Atlanta Braves as their new general manager. He is 55 years old, and he served for the past four years as the vice president of scouting for the Braves, uh, which his specialty was drafting. Michael Harris, Von Grisham. You also got Shea Langliers. And... Spencer Strider, four key pieces now for the Atlanta Braves, all acquired in the MLB draft by Dana Brown. He is 55 years old. He will come to Houston as the general manager, and he is now the only black general manager in Major League Baseball. Negotiations with James Click were ongoing, but after his discussions with other executives at winter meetings back in December went down, the Astros decided to part ways with their general manager and have now settled on Dana Brown, an absolute home run hire, no pun intended, by the Houston Astros who look to continue their their stretch of greatness coming off of a 2022 World Series. You know, when you, when you look at the game of baseball, it's super important. It's obviously, it, it, it's important in every major sport to draft well. It's, I feel like it's extra important in baseball. Because in baseball, if you draft well and you have a good farm system, I mean, you are set up for years and years and years to come. I was going to say, shoot, I mean, you only got 50 rounds in a draft. I would hope you'd hit on a couple of them. 
it's 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 normally forty. It's been twenty the last two years because of COVID. But I, I do get what you're saying. There's there's a lot more than seven. You have a lot. You have a lot more shots to hit. Yeah, there, there's a and lot. You only more. have and, and with your roster, it's not like it's a 53 or 70 or 90 man roster like football teams. Correct. It's 40. And that's including the minor league team. Well, including the minor league team, you're you're, you're looking at more like 70 or 80. Okay, and it's like well, with NFL, you got seven rounds compared to 40. Correct. So yeah, you you have more chances to hit, but man, there's just that that's true. Um, because you got two or three for each position, and then you got about ten to twelve pitchers. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're, so yeah it's you're, about it's about forty. Yeah. You're, you you've got a pretty deep roster, but again, you know, when when you can hit on guys like Von Grisham and, and Michael Harris and even Spencer Strider, I mean, Spencer Strider finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting just this past year. So the Braves are young. Their general manager has done a great job of locking up their young talent long term. And now Dana Brown's going to hope to do the same for the Houston Astros. So again, great move by by the Astros. And tomorrow we will have audio from the introductory press conference that was held earlier today. Looking at some other top stories, the Panthers have hired former Indianapolis Colts head coach Frank Reich as their new head coach. Uh, in in what is going to be considered a, a controversial discussion uh, after Steve Wilkes was seemingly in the running for the position, but the the, the Panthers deciding to go uh, a different way, and now there are there are lawsuits against the NFL by Wilkes's law firm. Uh, interestingly enough, I feel like any time an interim coach doesn't get Hired, there, there's some kind of you know wrongful termination or, or some kind of lawsuit. So definitely not surprised to to see one come up here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes practicing yesterday with the Chiefs for the first time this week said it went better than he expected. I still don't think he's going to be a hundred percent on Sunday. I could be wrong, but a high ankle sprain is not not an injury that you want to mess with. And it is not an injury that you want to re-aggravate because you, you've seen guys forced to have surgery because of re-aggravated high ankle sprains. Also, Aaron Rodgers, we talked about it the other day, likely moving on from the Green Bay Packers. So the conversation has now become, where does he go? Which teams fit him the best? One team that has come up as of late, the New York Jets. They need a quarterback. They've got decent weapons. They've got a good defense. And, oh yeah, his former offensive coordinator just got hired as the Jets' offensive coordinator. Hmm. Is it a fit? Gee, I don't know. Maybe maybe just a little bit. But the question here becomes... Does Aaron Rodgers immediately make the New York Jets a Super Bowl contender? I don't think so. Does that make them a playoff team? Absolutely. All day long. Hell, they were almost a playoff team with Zach Wilson. With Zach Wilson. 
they're definitely a playoff team. They're definitely competing in the AFC East. Can I call them a Super Bowl contender? Are they up there with the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals? I can't say that yet. I was going to say, here's here's the thing in the AFC. Chiefs are going to be very much in that contention every year. Bills are going to be there in, the, in there for a while as well. Same thing with the Bengals at this point. I think if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, I like their weapons more than you do, but they have a top four defense. O-line's looking pretty solid. And then having Nathaniel Hackett where in 2019 the yards per play was 17th in the league and then offensive touchdowns, it was 11th for the Packers 2020. It was second in yards per play and then first in total offensive touchdowns. And then in 2021 it was 8th and then 7th. So pretty good for Nathaniel Hackett. I think them being able to... I think that would be like a good four, maybe five. I'd probably lean towards four a game, four more games that they would win. So that would put their win total at 11. Maybe they get 12. Maybe they get an extra one with Rodgers and them. Maybe they go get another guy because neither of us are huge on Corey Davis. I think he's okay. But I think Jets, they could try and be in the running to go maybe get a Michael Thomas on a somewhat cheap deal. If he is to become a free agent, so then you do get that other receiver that you're looking for. I don't know. I don't know necessarily though if they would be in the realm of those three teams. I think they'd be on the next level though. I think they'd be on the fringe and they could make it to the AFC divisional round and maybe they get really lucky and get to the AFC championship. But it'd be tough because then they'd more likely not have to face you the the Bengals, the Chiefs, or the Bills. Correct. So an obvious playoff team that may surprise some people. Correct. They could, depending on what happens and their injury luck, depending on what happens there, they could make it to the AFC Championship. But I, I think if Aaron Rodgers goes there, it, it feels like it would be a little bit more of a you, you may have you may get stopped at a halt at the AFC divisional round. Your poll question of the day is: Who will Aaron Rodgers play for next year? Packers, Jets, Raiders, or other? So far, 33% saying the Packers, 27% saying the Jets, 24% saying other, and 16% saying the Raiders. I can't see him going back to Green Bay. Me either. It, I just can't. At this point, too many times we've danced about it, and it's like, oh, he ends up coming back. I feel like at some point, the way he looked, and we, we, keep, when, going, we keep harping back to that last game versus the Lions. Every, every time, it's like... When you Aaron, telling Jameson Williams and like ah sorry man I, I can't give you this jersey this time and then looking up at the sky like and looking at the stands and looking at the fans that are still there just kind of just gazing at it all it's like okay the fact that you're reminiscing on stuff like this and you're kind of taking these type of moments it's like okay you obviously are coming to an end when Aaron Rodgers walked off Lambeau with his arm around Randall Cobb I knew he was done whether he's retiring or he's just done in Green Bay, he will not play for the Packers in 2023. You know who's somebody that's more likely not going to play for the Packers either? Alan Lazard. He, all, he, he, also could be another, he also could be another guy that maybe he follows Rodgers, and if Rodgers goes to Jets, there's your other receiver. Are we, are we that much of a fan of Alan Lazard? <laughs> hey, he's pretty, he's pretty solid. He's not bad, but 
Michael Thomas, Alan Lazard. Mm. Injured, mm. not injured. <laughs> Top receiver when healthy, mid receiver all year long. I, just, I mean, availability is a big factor, though. <laughs> I'd, that's fair. I'd, I'd still take Michael Thomas, though, if I'm Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if injuries are off. And we're playing a Madden franchise. Of course, I'm taking Mike Thomas all day, every day. Man, if injuries were off, we'd all be in trouble. We'd all be in trouble. If ands and butts, or what if, is it? If some butts or candy, candy and nuts, nuts we'd, we'd all have, have a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, if some butts, that's right. Another conversation that we're going to have throughout the show, and I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on this, on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. What was the best quarterback room in the history of college football? Because I saw a tweet earlier that talked about the 2007 Michigan State quarterback room, which had Kirk Cousins, Brian Hoyer, and Nick Foles. Could that have been the best ever? I remember seeing one for the wide receiver rooms for college. I forgot what the first one was, but the other guy at rebuttal was like Alabama's, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. LSU. LSU having incredible wide receivers. Jamar, rooms. Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall. All three of them were first-round picks. And then another quarterback room to look at. Alabama? Do we not remember when Jalen Hurts, Tua, and Mac Jones were all there at one time? Now they're all three starting quarterbacks in the league? Just just a thought. We'll talk Pels and the Cajuns when we return here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Four teams, two games, one day. And the winner goes to the Super Bowl. It's the NFC Conference Championship. It's the NFL Conference Championships, excuse me. First, Nick Nick Bosa and the 49ers head to Philly to take on Jalen Hurts and the high-flying Eagles. Then it's Kansas City where Joe Burrow and the Bengals look for a fourth straight win over Mahomes and the Chiefs. The action begins at 2.30 on Sunday, and you can listen to it right here on The Game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's number one sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 420 here on your Thursday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337 337- 706-0111. That's 706-0111. Ralph chimes in on our quarterback room conversation. Old school 1980 BYU. Jim McMahon and Steve Young both went on to win Super Bowls. That's fair. That's actually, 
I, I can't argue with that. That's a solid quarterback room. Do you remember just a few short years ago when Ohio State had JT Barrett, Haskins, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, and a fella from Las Vegas by the name of Tate Martell? And everybody said, hey, that Tate Martell kid, he's the future. Four programs and a position change later. Still wasn't very good. Oh, oh, Tate Martell. Great times. You know, and then, you know, we brought up the LSU wide receiver room conversation. I don't know that there was a wide receiver room ever better than Alabama's in 2017-2018. Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy. And and then you had a young man by the name of Jamison Williams, red-shirted, waiting in the wings. Yikes. All five of those guys made it to the NFL. One of them threw it all away, but four of them still kicking. That is a scary... And they were all first-round picks. Correct. And that is a scary wide receiver room. Oh, or, or Bama's running back rooms. Najee Harris, Damian Harris, Brian Robinson Jr., Josh Jacobs. It's always funny and absurd to look back at the other Bama running back room whenever well, when they, had was so, there? they had so many that they were like, sorry, Kamara, get out. Yeah, you're you're not we, we can't we you're can't not keep good you. enough. We we don't we don't need you, so we're we're gonna let you go to where somebody somebody that does need you. You know, it's funny, looking back at it now with how good he's been at LSU. I'm a big college football guy, and I like to say that I know a good bit about college football. James, I hadn't heard of Alvin Kamara when the Saints drafted him. Which is a shame, because he was pretty good in college. Wasn't bad. Had had close to 1,000 yards both of his... Seasons in football had 989 from scrimmage his sophomore year, 988 from scrimmage his junior year. But I had no idea who he was. Not a clue. And back in 2014, when he was at Alabama, I, I got to tell you, man, that group was was something special. But no, you know, talking about a group that could be special, and the Pelicans. Falling once again last night for the sixth consecutive defeat, falling to the Timberwolves 111 to 102. You look at this game and Brandon Ingram returns, doesn't shoot very well, which is to be expected to a, to a degree. Shooting 4 of 18 from the field, 0 of 6 from downtown. He had 13 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. But when you have a game where all five starters for the Timberwolves score in double figures, including 37 from Anthony Edwards, chances are you're not going to win the ball game. Now, C.J. McCollum had a decent night, 25 points on 9 of 17 shooting. But the 14 turnovers 
is a concern for me. And we'll get back to the Pelicans here in just a moment. Let's go to the game hotline. Martin, what's up, dude? What's going on, my buddy? How are you? Uh, I'm making it. I want to kind of chime in on this thing, that, that this so-called thing that I think is a joke called the NFL Awards at the end of the year, okay? Uh, so you're going to put a guy like Brock Purdy in for Offensive Rookie of the Year? And he only started six games, okay? And like I told y'all a few weeks ago, he still ain't proved that. I mean, he still has, okay? Put him in another system, he ain't done, he don't do that. But the, the biggest thing is coach of the year, okay? That That's the biggest sham. How do you not put Dan Campbell in the conversation? Where were the Detroit Lions before Dan Campbell will, took over as head coach? Please answer me this. And he didn't even get a, you know, uh, 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 he didn't even get recognized for, for coach of the year. I think he is the coach of the year. No questions asked, hands down. You know, he almost led a, a pretty bad Detroit Lions team uh, to the NFL playoffs this year. You know, I mean, you got, I mean, and your quarterback is is, is golf. You know, but I mean, that's all I pretty much wanted to say. I mean, how can you not? mention this guy for, for coach of the year, man. I mean, I, I think it's all a joke. You know, I mean, Kyle Shanahan, eh. You know, and uh, I don't know who the other ones were, but I know that Dan Campbell was not in that list. It's Brian, Day- it's Brian Dable, Nick Sirianni, and Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I mean, I understand Dable with, with the Giants, and you know me, I'm a Cowboys fan. You know, and, and, and you know, Shariani or whatever uh, for the Eagles, but I mean, Dan Campbell, come on, man. That he is the coach of the year. You know? I don't. I don't necessarily and, um, disagree with that. You know, I mean, now let me ask you a question: Who you right as your head coach right now, Dan Campbell or uh, or DA? Oh, Dan Campbell all day long, all day I long. Knew, you know, and I hundred percent. The Saints. You, the Saints. The Saints should have never let him leave. Get away. That's that's where y'all trouble started happening right right then and there was letting Dan Campbell get away from y'all because uh, I mean. I think he could have done a lot better than what D.A. did this year. But but anyway, thanks for taking my call. Have a good one, buddy. Appreciate the call, Martin. So, yeah, you know, we're talking about that 2013 Alabama groom that, that Alvin Kamara was redshirted and then transferred his way out. T.J. Yeldon, Kenyon Drake, Derek Henry. And this was all in a season where lowly A.J. McCarron was this world-beater quarterback in in college football. Let's go back to the game hotline. Jay, what's up? I disagree with the last caller for the simple fact that uh, Pete Carroll, uh, uh, going into the year, no one didn't think anything about the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we think, you know, we thought, oh, Geno Smith or Drew Locke, you know, they're not going to do anything. Matter of fact, it's, it's going to be probably one of the, uh, the worst teams in the league, and boom, they uh, clinch a uh, playoff spot. Of course, they lose, uh, but they, they gave the 49ers a game until it got, to, until it got out of hand. I think Pete Carroll, is I the don't, true coach of the year. I don't disagree um, with that either. Yeah, so I, I, that's all I have to say. Uh, like I said, I just disagree with the last caller. I understand where he's coming from, but no one gave Pete Carroll a chance. And Pete Carroll is a great coach, and that's all I have to say, and uh, thank you. Appreciate you, Jay. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that with that take either. Um, I mean, we wrote the Seahawks off. We had them going 2-15, and 3-14, and 14, and they made the playoffs. So... The the only thing with with Pete Carroll is I I think people have realized the type of coach that Pete Carroll is, 
And so, and I just, I feel like the coach of the year is the opportunity for these new coaches to, to really, you know, step forward in, into the limelight with, with the exception of a guy like Kyle Shanahan, who's been around the block. But, uh, you know, guys like Brian Dable and Nick Sirianni who have who've taken their teams to exponential heights, I feel like that's what Coach of the Year is more tailored for, whether that's the right way or not. Uh, that, that's just kind of what it's become. Uh, let's go back to the game hotline. Kyle, what's up? Yeah, just to, just to go off of what that guy was saying earlier about um, about Campbell for Coach of the Year, yeah, he, he led the, the Lions to an, almost to the playoffs, which no one who's going to get Coach of the Year fails to make the playoffs, number one. Number two, um, he also led them to a five-game losing streak in the middle of the season. Um, so, I mean, you have to take that kind of stuff into account. As far as Brock Purdy goes, I mean, yeah, he was he, he didn't play for a lot of the season, but what he did by not losing any, you know, I mean, he lost, they lost that, dropped that one game to the, to the Broncos, but I mean, but what he's done as a rookie, as a NFL quarterback, I mean, that it deserves some respect. No one's saying he's absolutely going to win the, the award. Um, but I, I don't have any issue with him being mentioned in it. it. It deserves some respect, sure, but he should not be a finalist for Rookie of the Year. He didn't play half the season. I, I just I feel like you have to play at least half the season to be even mentioned in, in a season-long award. Okay. Fair Pre- enough, yeah. Appreciate the call, man. Yeah, I mean, I look, I if 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 you listen to this show, I've been one of the biggest supporters of Brock Purdy and what he's done. I think he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Niners for a very long time. But you can't win a season-long award when or even be mentioned as a finalist for a season-long award when guys who played 80 plus percent of the season are getting snubbed out. Chris Lave played 15 games, had over 1,000 yards, isn't even mentioned. Brock Purdy plays six games, plays well in those six games, but plays six games in the regular season, and, oh, he's Rookie of the Year, or he's a Rookie of the Year finalist. I, I just don't agree with that. We'll take a time out. Chris Connor joins us next. We'll talk Pels right here on the game. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 436 here. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, talking about the Pelicans a little bit ago, falling to the Timberwolves last night, 111-102. to After having an eight-point lead after the first quarter, the Pelicans' worst quarter all season long has been the third quarter, and that's where it fell apart for them last night, getting outscored 39-21 to after halftime, and again, 37 points from Anthony Edwards being the difference. Chris Connor from Boot Crew Media joins us on the game hotline. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? 
Uh, I'm all good, man. What's up with you? Oh, I'm wishing the Pelicans would win some games. <laughs> you know, I, I wish it was that easy, man. Let's let's get into it. So, you know, look, looking at last night in particular, talked about the third quarter. That's kind of been the quarter where the, where the Pelicans have struggled all season long, and they were outscored by 18 points in the third last night. Brandon Ingram's back, which is a positive. You didn't expect him to be otherworldly last night, and he certainly wasn't shooting four of eighteen from the field. Uh, just what kind of what kind of went wrong for the Pelicans last night? Uh, I mean, like you mentioned, I mean that the third quarter, and you know, I I think you know right now even welcoming back Brandon and welcoming back Najee, like you know, you were already the. The struggle that the team went through, already not having Zion and being without Brandon and Najee, is that you lose creators. You lose guys that can um, create for others or create for themselves, and it puts other, you know, some of your other players in situations where they're overcompensating and they're trying to do things that they may not be comfortable with. You saw a lot of that, which you know illustrates why you know you have a couple blown leads and just teams that ran out of gas because CJ. You know, and Jonas and company can only do so much before, you know, if a, you're playing another really talented team, you know, just you run out of gas. And that, that's kind of what you've been looking at. And yesterday, you know, I mean, welcoming back, back in Brandon, trying to get him some of, some of his, his shots in his spots. You saw him pressing a little bit as well. And it worked, it worked for a stretch, but Brandon's on a, on a minutes restriction. And with him not being able to, to, to be efficient, Najee not really feeling like himself game one, it allowed Minnesota to kind of stay the course and then have their playmakers who are in rhythm, who are who have been out there for a little bit, kind of take over and do some of the things that, you know, I mean, a lot of talented players in this league do um, and help you win games. You know, last night following the loss, C.J. McCollum was asked if he felt like there was going to be a, a turnaround you know, do you feel like the the Pelicans are about to hit a turnaround now that Najee and MBI are back, and we know that Zion is is close to returning? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think of course when Zion returns, that's you know that's definitely something that you were, that you will bet on just because of the you know uh, guys will slowly at that point start to revert back to the things that made them you know specifically the role players reverting back to the the roles that make them and this team really dangerous. And I mean, you even saw in some respects last night what having Brandon just about that breathing does. The, the first play of the game, uh, you know, they run a, a similar set in which Brandon is, is uh, flashing across the free throw line. Or anytime he has the basketball, multiple defenders are following him, and CJ McCollum gets one of the more open shots that you'll see him get or that he's seen, you know, since uh, Brandon and Zion have been out. So those things carry. Um, those things carry over, and they'll continue to um, help this team out. I think that really um, uh, the, the the biggest thing for this for this team right now is that once another guy comes back, another guy ends up getting injured. Yesterday it was it was Dyson, or the day before, the game before it was it was Dyson Daniels. Um, you know, you don't want to put too much pressure on Brandon to have to find his find his way again. Two months is a long time. It isn't just like a couple weeks or you know a week off like like it was with the concussion. Two months is is a long time for anybody. I do think that they'll be able to to slowly piece it back together, and we'll see if that you know uh, how close to the trade deadline that will end up putting them at. But um, 
the question at this point has to be, well, with their schedule being as difficult um, as it is upcoming, uh, you know, without without Zion, how many wins can they get to kind of keep themselves afloat until he comes back against some of these good teams that are playing well? You know, you brought up the trade deadline. Uh, a question that I, I have for you is, Kristaps Porzingis, <laughs> would you would you would you trade for him? Well, um, I, I mean, I, to be honest, James, I mean, I, I trade for a lot of guys right now, man. I, I trade for a bunch of talented individuals or different, different, different guys that can upgrade this team where they're hurting right now. Just to me, it's all about value. I don't think that that that, this, that the Pelicans need to rush or need to panic right now. And I think even even only sitting three games under five, I mean over five hundred and being um, on a six game losing streak. I don't think you're in a you're in a situation in which you have to forget the amount of um, valuable assets that you have. Some of them may be losing some of their value as the season continues, and you know maybe maybe you're not in the in the the higher seat of leverage as you were, say when you were number one in the West. But um, yeah, I, I mean I, I would Porzingis. I think ideally fits in a lot of different different ways. Um, when you think of how he can stretch the floor and another individual that you can throw the ball to and have him create for himself and others, we know he can protect the rim. You know, he he, he can block shots. He's not the most physical individual, um, but sure, I I think you know he's also I think would be a ideally a good fit next to Zion as well when Zion's back. But for me, it's all about price. Would I trade a first round pick to get to get Chris Ash? Sure, you know and. and and make the salary fit, sure. I mean, I think so. But if you trade for for Porzingis, similar to a guy like John Collins, you're you're pretty much punting on Jonas Valanciunas. Is this team ready to do that? Considering that throughout this stretch, where again you have a lot of guys in and out the lineup, he's been one of your more valuable pieces. I don't think Jonas is the guy that's going to um, going to be here in three years necessarily. You know, in two years, you may even look to move him at the um, at the end of the year. But are you willing to make that move now? Because you would almost have to if you bring in a guy like Porzingis. Yeah, because Matt Matt had brought that up because I had seen a trade by somebody and he was saying Kristaps because, like you said, it would it would work well with Zion because he could stretch the floor. But the offer was Jonas, Kyra, Devontae Graham, and then three different picks. I couldn't see what the picks were, but it was three different picks. And I know one of them was a second rounder, but I couldn't see the others. And I'm like. That's way too much for Chris Stapps. Yeah, you know, and, and you have to assume, you know, I think, again, I, I think I'm, I'm about value right now. And I think, uh, you know, the Pelicans and David Griffin are right now. I've heard a lot of different things about John Collins. And one of the reasons, not just on the talent alone, is that, you know, if the Pelicans put, if, 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 if they believe, if John Collins is going for good value, if he's going for cheap and you don't have to overpay, why put yourself in a bidding war for you know other fits? I'm a fan of OG Ananobi, but do I want to pay three three first round picks to get him? No, I don't. Do I do I even want to pay two? No, maybe not at this time. But I'd rather just pay a cheaper price and get Gary Trent Jr. Sure. So if you look at Washington and you assume well, Kyle Kuzma's future future is up in the air. Um, you know Bradley Beal's been in and out of the lineup. Um, you know the teams the teams present and their future is kind of up in the air. What 
even at full strength, what are they? Are they just better off selling and trying to refixture this thing again? They're in that kind of situation. And, um, you know, you can get Chris Stapps for um, really good value and you don't have to break the bank for him. Sure, I think it's something that you definitely explore. But you can say that for a lot of different players right now. Because, I mean, look, I I think you want to add to this team, but do you need a splash right now? Can you afford to make a splash or would you rather do something like that later, you know, after after the trade deadline head, heading into next season? Because right now we're talking about a team that doesn't have Zion and is welcoming, welcoming back Brandon Ingram. Whether you trade for Porzingis or John Collins or Ongi Ananobi, if those two guys aren't right, it doesn't matter about any of the other moves you make right now that isn't a superstar. Chatting with Chris Connor from the Bird Rights and Boot Crew Media. You know, looking at, we talked about Chris Porzingis just a moment ago, the Pelicans will play the Wizards on Saturday. How can the Pels get back on track to get back into the win column against a, a team like the Wizards who, who's struggling in the Eastern Conference? Well, the first thing that works for them, I think, is that, you know, they have, they have two days off, and after a back-to-back, you know, I know C.J. McCollum had a really good game, and Jonas had a good statistical game. Um, you know, but giving those guys rest, giving um, giving Brandon and Najee a chance to get those extra reps in practice is also going to help. Slowly starting to put game plans together around around those individuals being available to where you can you can have some of the easier looks and opportunities for some of your you know your other players that may be struggling or that struggled in this stretch without superstar talent um, available. I think that's going to help. But against Washington, man, I think one of the, you know, you can date back to the last game that they played just a week and some change ago where it was, you know, in Washington, you're looking at CJ, you're looking at uh, Jonas, and Jonas Valanciunas dominated that game. That was a game with a healthy Porzingis as well. I believe uh, Herb Jones went out went out that game with a contusion uh, in his latest uh, uh, stint off of the uh, off of the court. And, you know, you looked at – it was a really good Najee game. But it's at home, another opportunity to get these guys back in rhythm. And, look, I would say play through Jonas. Um, you know, Washington, especially without – without even with Porzingis, they didn't have physical threats that we were able to stand in front of Jonas for very long. In any matchup, you can find a way to get him involved. really helps this team out because um, there are stretches that, you know, you need to be able to play through him. It's like having a good running game. And when Jonas is, is is active, feels involved in the game, and is scoring offensively, it just adds something different to this team. And he gets more engaged on both sides of the floor. And I think you know they 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 need an easy win. They need a game that doesn't have to come down to the to the final. You know, I mean, they're going to have a, some really tough games after after this one. They want to find a way to make this as easy as possible. They want to find a way to extend as least you know as uh, as save as much energy as possible for this next upcoming stretch as we get closer to the All-Star break. And one of the easiest ways to do it is be able to rely on your big man and get him involved, kind of slow down the pace of the game. Chris Connor joining us here on the Game Hotline. Chris, appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. All love, man. Pelicans in the losing streak Saturday, man. God, I hope so. All right, brother. Appreciate you as always. And there he goes, Chris Connor of Boot Crew Media. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game is throwing you something far better than some cheap plastic beads of this Mardi Gras season. How about a $500 Visa gift card? It's the game's Mardi Gras moolah sweepstakes. Download the game app, open the app, click on the Mardi Gras moolah tab, and you are on your way to winning that $500 Visa gift card. Download the app, win money. It's that simple, and it's all from the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let's get back to the college football quarterback discussion, not just wide receiver. Let's look at the quarterback because there was a post by, and this is going to be interesting later on, but they were talking about the quarterbacks from the 2022 season, kind of putting them in power five tiers, you know, best of the best. And there's next QBs up roller coaster quarterbacks, the solid QBs, the good, but not world beaters. The mobility kind of holds them back, struggled in 2022. And then this program, they could use a boost. This comes from a Florida state. So it's going to be interesting. Because best of the best, even though Jordan Travis, to me, had a pretty good year, they have him as the best of the best in the top tier. I I think he's close to that. I'd probably put him in the next level and put him next QBs up, but that's just me. So the data came from CFB numbers, ESPN, and Pro Football Focus. Yeah, so they, they use multiple sources to kind of come up with their overall opinion the, the, on where they ranked them. And the graph was made by CFB numbers. So your best of the best, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams, fair. Drake May, also fair. Stetson Bennett, fair. Yeah. Michael Penix Jr. had a good year. I don't know that I'd put him as best of the best. KJ Jefferson? Really don't think that I would put him as best of the best. Jalen Daniels from Kentucky? Kansas. I mean Kansas. Jalen Daniels is really not good. Kentucky. Will Levis for Will Levis for Kentucky is in the good but not world beaters. I would move him up to solid starting quarterbacks, but the 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 one or the couple of places that I just don't uh, agree with at, at all. Um, One for me is putting DTR in solid. I thought he would be at least in the next QBs up. I oh thought he was. No. I thought he was. In, I thought he did a lot better. Solid's fair. That that's a fair place for him with it's Bo Nix and Cam Rising. Uh, that's a fair comparison. Eh, I don't know. That's just me though. I'd probably put him a little higher up, but that. That's maybe just maybe a little bit of personal bias. What's interesting for me is Max Duggan being in the good, not world-beating category. Did this man not bring his team to a national championship? Did he not lead them to a 13-1 and regular season? How, how is he not a top quarterback in college football? 
That doesn't make sense to me. Um, Will Rogers being in the mobility holding them back category. I mean, I guess. I, I don't know that I, I really really get that either. Um, Anthony Richardson being a roller coaster quarterback. Yes. Jackson Dart being a roller coaster quarterback. Yes. Jaden Daniels being in the next QBs up category. Maybe. Maybe. Don't get me wrong. Love Jane Daniels. Did a lot of good for LSU this year. But we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, but, you know, it's always interesting to have these end-of-the-season conversations about which quarterbacks played better than others and, and which ones are going to be the next, you know, the next wave of superstars because you just never know. I mean, we're, we're, ta- we're talking about a kid like JT Daniels over at West Virginia who falls under the struggled in 2022, he could win the Heisman. You just never know. Uh, Spencer Rattler, kind of the same thing. He's in struggled in 2022. He could be the Heisman Trophy winner. We're not that far removed from him being the top quarterback in the country when he was at Oklahoma. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, kicking it off with Brian Peacock, previewing the conference championship games, and Barry McKnight will join us at 530 to preview the Troy Trojans versus the Cajuns. You are listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time getting underway here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The Game Hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3, Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In hour number one, we talked the potential of Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. The Astros landing a new general manager and the New Orleans Pelicans. Here in hour number two, we're going to preview the Troy Trojans taking on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We'll also touch on the McNeese Cowboys, and we'll talk the NFL Conference Championship weekend with our guy Brian Peacock of the Peacock and Williamson Show. He also hosts Locked On 49ers. Brian, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm pumped for Championship Sunday. There's no atmosphere better on the NFL calendar than this weekend. So, you know, it it's interesting, right? When you look at the Conference Championship weekend, like you just mentioned, no matter whether your team is involved or not, it, it's still, like you said, the, the best weekend on the NFL calendar besides the Super Bowl. No doubt. Yeah, it, the league. There was some reports that the league might be considering moving the championship games to the new, to a neutral site, like the Super Bowl is. Uh, and I think that's hogwash. I mean, this is the, this is the best atmosphere there is with these two games uh, in the championship games, and uh, so much better 
in the Super Bowl as far as environment inside the, the building and and uh, everything that goes along with games like this. So, uh, yeah, that, that would be a huge mistake in my opinion because this is fun. This is what it's all about, the best four teams in the league. And I think it, it really was the best four teams in the league this year that, that uh, ended up in this part of the tournament. So before we get to breaking down each of these games, I, I got to ask you, what what's going to happen with Sean Payton? Oh, you know, it's strange that he didn't get swallowed up so quickly. And it makes me wonder, is he asking outlandish money and power from teams? Uh, does he not really like the landing spots with these teams in this cycle? And maybe he wants to wait another cycle. But he would have seemed to be a slam dunk hire for so many teams. Maybe um, they, they weren't able to figure out what the compensation would be going back to the New Orleans Saints and, and you know, next year. The, the Saints won't get that compensation like they would now because the, the, of the contract status of where Sean Payton was coaching with the Saints before he retired, quote-unquote retired, because I think everyone kind of knew he was not quite done coaching. Um, but it, as much of a slam dunk as he seems like he would be, an offensive-minded coach that could be the CEO, run everything, uh, I, I'm not really sure what's going on there. The fact that he hasn't been hired yet unless there's some teams that really just want to hire some other teams that are still playing and haven't had an opportunity for those second interviews yet and then frank Wright getting hired today by the carolina panthers what are your thoughts on that move for carolina Uh, i don't know again it kind of feels like a little bit of a a runner-up scenario for the panthers and you know he's a really good coach and he's well thought of but he just got fired you know a month ago or whatever it was from the indianapolis colts two months ago now and you you don't see the retreads get get sort of snatched up that quickly. So uh, he must have had a really good interview there and, and had an awesome plan for what whatever the quarterback situation was going to be for the Panthers because they've got a pretty good roster if they can figure out what's going on at quarterback. And, and David Tepper, the owner, is uh, sort of uh, known as a whale hunter of a guy, and he's got deep pockets, and, and he could have gone after and thrown as much money as he wanted to at any coach. And it turns out that... Um, they're going with Frank Reich there, and it kind of is a little bit shocking, but I think it has to all be about the quarterback position. Do you foresee any more, you know, major coaching stories to to come out? You know, looking at guys like we talked about Sean Payton and where he's going to go. Could you see anybody making some outlandish moves to maybe land a guy like Sean Payton? Yeah, the only one I thought of was after last weekend, if maybe Jerry Jones, and there's been some connections with the Cowboys and and um, and Sean Payton for a long time, and I thought maybe with the exit for the Cowboys, that would have left a bad taste in Jerry Jones' mouth, and he would want to go out and get Sean Payton, but that's not going to happen there, so I don't really see it happening. And now we're starting to hear 49ers defense coordinator D'Amico Ryans is maybe the top candidate now that has emerged for the Denver Broncos job, and so I'm not really seeing what the the best landing spot is for Sean Payton at this point. He might he might sit in the booth for another year and see what happens next year. And then last coaching question before we get to the games, do the Colts hire Jeff Saturday full-time? <laughs> this, that's a really hard one because you never know what Jim Irsay is going to do in Indianapolis, and, and he's sort of a wild card in all of this, and it was so strange that they hired Saturday in the first place, and it sounds like, according to reports, that Jim Irsay would lean towards Saturday, and they've interviewed just about every candidate there's been out there that any other team has interviewed for that Colts job. And so it might be a situation where 
Chris Ballard, the GM, who's well thought of around the league, is really trying to talk Jim Irsay into another candidate that's not Jeff Saturday. So we'll see who ends up winning there. But um, it just doesn't seem like Jeff Saturday makes a lot of sense, you know, with his lack of coaching experience and how things ended last season with him as the interim guy. But uh, again, I think it's all about the quarterback plan for the Colts there. And Chris Ballard doesn't have much leash left, I think, for the Colts. So they've got to get this right, and they've got to find their quarterback and start winning games really soon, or or he's going to be out too. And then who knows, that probably means another new head coach. Brian Peacock of Peacock and Williamson joining us here on the game hotline. Brian, let's look at your Niners going to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles in the NFC title game. These two teams are incredibly evenly matched, especially on offense. I mean, for for one team's weapon, the other team's got a weapon that can match it. Uh, neither team is going to be able to double team anybody in this contest. The, Phil- the Eagles are a two and a half point favorite with an over under of 46. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, this is what it's all about. It's such, they're, they're both really good teams with the, the two best rosters in the NFC, and they both got multiple weapons on offense, as you mentioned. They both got really good offensive lines and, and probably the best left tackle in Trent Williams and the best right tackle in Philly uh, with Lane Johnson in the NFL right now, and then they've both got really good defensive lines, and the Philadelphia Eagles led the league in sacks with 70 sacks, and the the defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa, most likely, is on the other side with the 49ers. Niners have the best linebacking group in the NFL, really good secondary for the Eagles, uh, and so they're so evenly matched. Both teams can run the ball. Um, it, it's I, I don't know which way this game is going to go, um, and even when you go to the quarterback position, you would think, yeah, Jalen Hurts, MVP candidate most of the year, they've got a, a huge advantage there. But if you just look at the seven games that that Brock Purdy has played, I mean, he's top of the league in just every statistic, and he's right there, and if not better in some categories than Jalen Hurts has been. So um, they might not even have that much of an advantage at quarterback as long as Brock Purdy doesn't fall on his face. And everyone said it every single week, oh, this is the week. Brock Purdy is going to come down to earth, and he's just been awesome in that 49ers offense. So I can't wait for this one so evenly matched. Uh, my biggest question for the 49ers, will they be able to run the football? That's one of the things that teams have been able to do against the Philadelphia Eagles. If the 49ers can and they can they can win that battle and, and run the football, uh, I think that might be the thing that puts it over the edge for the 49ers. On the other side, Jalen Hurts getting loose with his legs for the Eagles. And then, you know, looking at the Bengals and Chiefs, this is a matchup that is just so incredibly interesting. The Bengals are are three and zero against Patrick Mahomes since Joe Burrow was drafted. Uh, they're they're even making the joke that the stadium is called Burrowhead and not Arrowhead. And then you know Patrick Mahomes with his high ankle sprain says he's gonna play. What what? How healthy is he gonna be? Could be a huge question with this matchup. Uh, can the Bengals head back to the Super Bowl for the second straight year? Man, I really like the Bengals a lot. I think they've probably been the best team in football. They started out a little slow this year, so it took a while for people to notice how good they were and how good they were playing. If you take the first two weeks out of the season, the the Bengals were the best team, and they'd have probably been the one seed in the AFC. And seeing them go through the Buffalo Bills, not only with how cool Joe Burrow is and, and how uh, just how good he has become, and, and he's getting the ball out even quicker than he had in the past and has been so efficient. And then you look at what the defense and Lou Amaruno, the defense coordinator's unit, has been able to do to to guys like Patrick Mahomes in the past and last week against Josh Allen. 
just a phenomenal matchup, and, and I'm actually a little bit surprised pe- more people aren't picking the Bengals, and then now that there's been, and, and even before the Mahomes injury, um, but with the Mahomes injury, you know, that's, it's a weird, it's a weird, because, I, I don't know, I, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I thought it was funny that your quarterback that's making, you know, $50 million per year, and he's like at a public gym working out, so people can take pictures of him working out and saying, oh, his ankle's good. It's almost like they're doing it on purpose. Like they're really, really trying to prove to everybody, and especially the Bengals, that he's 100%. And I just don't think he's going to be able to play at 100%. So um, that's that's odd to me. Um, but we'll see what, what Patrick Mahomes looks like. I know there's a lot of uh, good medical uh, – <laughs> uh, there's a lot of good um, – things that they can do in the NFL medically to get guys ready to play and especially not feel pain on Sundays. But uh, I really like the Bengals in this one because they're so complete and because they've already been able to play such a good brand of football against big-time quarterbacks in the past. And if Patrick Mahomes isn't 100%, um, I think it spells doom potentially for the home Chiefs. In either game, Brian, give me three storylines that you were watching with these two matchups on Sunday. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, the the biggest story in the world is going to be Brock Purdy if he goes to the Super Bowl. Literal Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft. And I know locally it's been, you know, Brock Purdy mania with 49ers fans and everyone knows about him locally and knows all the stories. And nationally the story is growing and growing and growing. But when you talk about just not even sport outlets picking up this Brock Purdy story, it's going to dominate the headlines, especially with an extra week in between before the Super Bowl. So, the rookie seventh-round quarterback, Brock Purdy, is probably the biggest story here. Um, I think we've touched on some of them with the, the injury to Patrick Mahomes and, and Burrow. I mean, maybe the two best quarterbacks in the NFL going head-to-head in the, in the AFC championship. Uh, that one is so that one's so fun for me. And, uh, and just it's, it's, it's such a popcorn weekend on Sunday to watch those two games. It's going to be a couple of powerhouse teams. So those are probably the main stories that I'm looking at uh, that, that grow even beyond what, you know, the, the – the average football fan would even care about. Brian Peacock of Peacock and Williamson and Locked On 49ers joining us here on Crunch Time. Brian, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Don't get too nervous. And uh, hopefully we can have you on the next couple weeks preview of 49ers Super Bowl. Hey, that'd be fantastic. Appreciate it. And there he goes, Brian Peacock, host of Peacock and Williamson. God, if the Niners could go to the Super Bowl, Matt Miguez would be happy. I really would. I'd be so happy. Nobody likes the Eagles. Name name one name one person that is an Eagles fan. I know of none. I just who who even likes Philadelphia? Nobody. I'm kidding, of course. But going to be great matchups this weekend regardless. With, with the Eagles and the Niners and then the Chiefs and the Bengals. The Chiefs and the Bengals. James, have you seen the betting line? The Chiefs you're are a one-point favorite. One point. One point. How do you pick that? Oh, you, you just do, take Joe Burrow. <laughs> you, you know, I think Patrick Mahomes throws the last-second touchdown and they win 35-34. There, I'm taking the spread. Like how, how do you how do you pick that? I mean, it's got to be you know either team to win at, at that point. It, it's right down. You basically you might as well take the money line at at that point. 
with an over-under of 47. I feel like that's kind of low with these offenses. But maybe, you know, when you when you factor in the Patrick Mahomes injury, maybe maybe the uh, the Chiefs aren't scoring as much and maybe gonna, their defense. You're going to play more ball control. Yeah, you'll, you'll see maybe a 24-21 type game. Uh, but 47 seems seems a little low for uh, for for these two teams. We'll take a timeout here when we return. We'll talk more Pelicans as well as McNeese and the Cajuns. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you need help taking your lady out for Valentine's Day, the help you need can be found inside the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Score $150 to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, $50 to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville, $40 to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, or $25 to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes for Valentine's Day by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 520, almost 521 here on your Thursday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Going back to the Pelicans conversation from a minute ago, following the loss last night, Willie Green suffered his first career ejection, might I add, after a technical foul from Jose Alvarado that he did not agree with. Uh, Willie Green said that his team got punched in the mouth. I feel like they just punched us in the mouth in the third quarter. And when we got hit, we, we said, okay, in fourth quarter now we want to, we, we, we're deciding that we want to play. We can't do that. NBA is, is too hard to win in this league to allow a team to score 39 points. Um, so even if we're getting the looks that we want, we got to execute them. Brandon Ingram, like we mentioned earlier, returning, shooting four of 18 from the field. Willie Green offered his thoughts on getting the superstar back in the lineup. Great to have him out there. Um, started the game really well, moving the ball. Uh, he, he's knocking off some rust, which we expected. Uh, but we'll we'll continue to stick together and we'll get healthy, healthier, and um, get after it. And but tonight was not our night. Um, give the Timberwolves credit; they came in here and their third quarter spark. Uh, their run, and we, we couldn't get it back. C.J. McCollum, who's kind of become the leader of this group, you know, we, we talked about B.I. coming back and Zion hopefully getting healthy in the next couple of weeks and, and what that could mean for this team. C.J. was asked if he feels like a turnaround is coming. Yeah, it's a long season, man. Um, we talked about this when we won, you know, six, seven games in a row, and everybody was praising us like we're the best thing since – you know, basketball was invented. And then we lose a few games, and it's the end of the world. And it's we need changes. And you know, fans are you know victims of the moment far too often. I think it's understanding of 
progress and process, right? Like we've been very injured and it's not to make excuses, it's just the reality of a long season. A lot of teams have gone through injuries and you see the difference in records and the difference in how a season can swing. And I think now we're heading in the right direction, getting guys healthy. Obviously Dyson's out now, um, Z's still out, but Z, uh, Najee coming back, B.I. coming back, and at some point Z comes back and I think changes the way our team looks. And I think for us it's about you know holding steady, building on our principles, you know having discipline, Focusing on defense, focusing on making the right plays, stack up good games. I don't, I don't mind losing the way we lost to the Denver Nuggets, right? Like, I hate losing, but if we're going to lose, that's a game we competed in. We held them under 100 points, best offense in the NBA, had a chance to win it down the stretch, right? Uh, I, I think if we play like that consistently, we'll get out of this, you know, five or six, whatever it is, game losing streak, and then we'll build towards health in the playoffs. I think that's what matters, right? Get a home seat, get into the playoffs healthy. If we can do those things, then no one will, no one will really care about, you know, what happened in, in January. James, do you feel like it's a problem for the Pelicans that CJ McCollum is always hitting is always getting the ball in, in late moments? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, no. Cause you know, you go back to that Denver game where where the game was on the line and CJ just couldn't deliver. You've seen that numerous times within the last you know year and a half or so, where games on the line and that that clutch gene just kind of isn't there for CJ McCollum, and so that conversation has kind of been brought up a few times by different people. Like, should we be putting the ball in the hands of somebody else? I just don't know who else would be hitting that type of clutch shot. That's fair. That's that's my thing. That, like, that, that's my thing too. Who else? Who else are you going to give it to? Because you're not going to give it to Jackson Hayes. Correct. You're not going to really look for Jonas outside of trying to dump it off to him and try to hit a a hook shot. But you see, if you go back to the Denver game, if you go back and rewatch it, Willie Hernan Gomez had an opportunity under the rim to just catch the inbounds pass and lay it in. Yeah. You had three seconds. You had plenty of time to get the ball to him, lay it in. It wasn't like, a, oh, we got to get the shot off quick. There's .9 seconds left. Yeah, it's, it's not like you had you had time to dribble Correct. or even get a pass in. Correct. So you, you give that ball to Willie Hernan Gomez, you let him lay it up and or get fouled, you could have closed the game out right there. I, I get going to CJ. You know, he is your shooter. It, it's an easy look, things like that. Could but, you Could you necessarily try and – Maybe try and drop a play for someone else. Like, I mean, you got a shooter, and if it comes down to like you needing a, a three to either tie or win the game, I can understand maybe trying to see if Trey Murphy can do it. Yep. See if Trey Murphy could hit something in the corner, or like drop a play to get him open at the wing to shoot it. But it's like, other than that, it's like, who really has a realistic chance other than you being like, all right, well, let's test this guy. Let's see if he can hit it tonight. It's very let's, true. Let's try this guy. It's like, very true. you don't have a defined guy that can take the final shot to win the game for you. Tonight, we're getting ready to get underway here in about five minutes. McNeese and Incarnate Word, the Cowgirls winners of their last three, looking to make it four straight against a team pretty evenly matched with them in the Lady Cardinals, sitting at 7-10, and 2-5 and five in the Southland. McNeese currently sitting at 4-3 and three in the Southland. And following that, because, James, I'm going to tell you, one thing that the Southland Conference does well is they still do doubleheaders. They still do the 5.30 women's game, 7.30 men's game. Knock it off, knock it both out. I, I get the mindset of, 
letting the girls have their own schedule and they play on their own special day and whatever. But the idea of... It is nice to have them both at the same correct. time. You Every, can attend both the women's and men's game at the same night. Correct. UL used to do it that way. They don't they, do it that way anymore. They did it opening night last year. They, they've got two doubleheaders on the schedule this year in conference play, but man, I remember every game. Five o'clock was the women, seven o'clock was the men. And it worked beautifully. And they went away from it. I, I just I don't I don't quite understand it. But then at seven thirty the McNeese Cowboys and Incarnate Word will play the Cardinals eight and twelve, also two and five in the Southland Conference led in points by Jonathan Cease, 14.9 points a game. If that name sounds familiar to you, he is a graduate of St. Thomas More High School here in Lafayette, the six foot 160 pound junior. While McNeese five and fifteen, also two and five in the Southland, they are led by their point guard Trey English, averaging right under 12 points a game. McNeese losing their last five, really needing some kind of a spark plug to to get back into the win column and feel a feel better about themselves heading down the back stretch. You saw some positives when they played Nichols on Saturday, only falling by three. They've been in just about every game that they've lost here in this losing streak, but just have to find some sort of positive momentum with only about 10 games to go here in the 2022 regular season. Updating the poll question of the day, we talked earlier in hour number one about Aaron Rodgers and where we think He's going to play in 2023 now that the Jets have hired Nathaniel Hackett to be their new offensive coordinator. Packers, Jets, Raiders, or other, 32.7% say the Packers, 27% say the Jets, 16% say the Raiders, 24% say other. A couple of comments, he's not going anywhere. He'll retire before he leaves Green Bay. Dude's a wash anyway. Time for him and Brady to both retire. Uh, Ralph says he'll stay on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field with brats and cheese curds. Meanwhile, Jordan Love is telling him that he needs to go home. J.K. says it doesn't matter. Whenever it is, he will be an epic failure. Really hope it's the Raiders. John Paul says he's done. He just needs to retire. Do I disagree? Not really. I've, I've said, you know, is it true that Aaron Rodgers could play another year? Yes. But is he going to play that next year well enough for it to be worth it? Maybe. Maybe not. I still think he's got a year or two left in the tank. Oh, two? That's a stretch. Well, I, I, one, I, one where it's at a really high level and then one more where it's like, eh, and then after that, it's like okay, let's, let's let's move on, Aaron. But I think I think he's got one or two years left in him. I think if he's going to play in twenty twenty three, I think it needs to be a uh, an Aaron Rodgers farewell tour. He needs to make known before the seat. Look, this is the last one. When whenever we get out, whatever it may be, I'm done. Because I I can't see him playing beyond twenty twenty three, unless he wants to be Brett Favre which we all know how that worked out. Not well, by the way. Take a time out. Barry McKnight, the voice of the Troy Trojans, joins us next right here on The Game. 
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Back here on Crunch Time, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. As a reminder, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Tonight, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns will return to the Cajun Dome for the first time in two weeks. They will take on the Trojans of Troy before hosting Georgia Southern on Saturday. Let's preview the matchup with the Trojans tonight inside the Cajun Dome with the voice of the Trojans, Mr. Barry McKnight. Barry, thanks so much for taking the time, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Always great to get a chance to visit with you. Looking forward to tonight, for sure. Now, you know, Barry, looking at the season, it's kind of been up and down for the Trojans. Started off 4-0 and with, with a win on the road at Florida State before, you know, kind of going through a slump a little bit, falling to Arkansas and San Diego State in close games. And then when you get to conference play, he started off 4-1 and before dropping two to App and James Madison. Just kind of walk us through the 13-8 and eight start to the season for the Trojans. Well, it, it's been uh, a season with, with certainly some highs and a couple lows, but really in terms of the expectations, not too far off of really what Troy expected, which is saying something because, you know, Troy got dealt a, a pretty significant blow in the pre-conference when, when the Trojans lost Duke Miles, who was – you know, it was was our most talented player that we had on the team. Duke has not been able to get medically cleared uh, at Troy, and he only was able to play four games. He's a guy that averaged about 14 points a game last year and, you know, was one of the better defensive players. So without him, they've had to kind of reconstruct uh, their perimeter, particularly their perimeter defense, and... Um, and try to adjust there. So, you know, early on, the win against Florida State was compelling. You know, a late loss at Arkansas when things were really, you know, doing well. And a late loss to San Diego State um, when the team was really trying to, again, to establish themselves and figure out who they were. When you get to conference play, you know, the defense was really, really good. That's the 4-1 and one start. You know, offensively, Troy has, has some firepower, but you know, not exactly sturdy, uh, as sturdy as some other schools in this league in the post. Uh, Zay Williams has been really good, uh, but, you know, there's been some injuries down there with Lydell Geffrard and Nate Chimanga and all that. So, you know, it's it's really been a, trying to, you know, hold their own in the post and, you know, take a lot of chances on defense. Troy's one of the best defensive teams in the Sun Belt Conference, particularly on the perimeter. So, you know, it's kind of revealed itself as to what the nature of this team is right now. The record is good. The, the Sun Belt record is good, uh, could be better. And yet still, you know, you're going into a stretch now where uh, now that you kind of know who you are, you've got a stretch that began last week where five out of the next, I'm sorry, six out of the next eight games are being played at home but you still have to go to Louisiana. You still have to go to South Alabama this week. So not not far off of expectations, but um, you know, really having to invent and reinvent themselves a couple of times during that stretch. You know, five and three in the Sun Belt, one game out of the three-way tie for first place. The Trojans have been. You talked about Duke Miles falling with an injury. You know, in mm-hmm. the 
since then kind of been led by Christian Eugene and Zay Williams. Talk about the Trojans roster, who really stands out, and uh, who's been able to lead the team this year. Well, the, the 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 names you mentioned are the ones certainly that um, you know that are perceptive of you to mention because those are two guys that not only have have meant a lot to this program this year in terms of culture and leadership, but those are two guys who have really grown so much in the program. Zay is one of the few fifth year guys. He spent his entire career at Troy. He hasn't um, he hasn't transferred in, hasn't transferred out. He's been so steady at six feet nine. He's one of the best defenders in the Sun Belt Conference, although he's only about 195 pounds, so he's not a banger. But he has grown so much in the program and done it quietly. Uh, Christian Eugene, everybody calls him Spud. Spud has been, um, you know, in his third year in the program at a junior college. Last year he averaged about four points a game. This year he has been the one that has really risen uh, with the absence of Duke Miles. He's a tough physical guard with a great deal of um a great deal i would say of of magnetism i mean the players tend to rally around him and his style of play but he also has really improved his shooting he's one of the top five in the sun belt or top six in the sun belt and three-point percentage he's top six in free throw percentage uh so he really has a well-rounded game and you know as well as i do you know troy's reputation under scott cross is on the defensive side of things that's where everything begins and ends at troy and he is one of the ones that enables troy again in that perimeter defense which is really good to take a few more chances to be physical through ball screens uh and, and to really challenge you know um ball handlers he has been the guy him and nelson phillips and keeper punter have been really good uh, in trying to set the tone defensively. So, yeah, with Eugene and Zay Williams, you asked about them specifically. And if you hadn't asked about them specifically, I would have brought those two up to you specifically because those are the two guys for whom everybody else, along with punter, really kind of rallies around. Yeah, you know, you brought up Scott Cross and, you know, even dating back to his time with UTA, He's kind mm-hmm. of been known for that defensive mentality, like you mentioned. It's going to create a, a good matchup tonight in the Cajun Dome because so far this season, the Cajuns have been very good offensively. Well, and not only that, and you're, you're exactly right, but one of the numbers, certainly one of the things we're going to be presenting uh, as a key to the game tonight, uh, the Cajuns are the best three-point shooting team in the league which, you know, it really helps them out having Jordan Brown down low so you can't, you know, necessarily just race out and close out the three-point shooters and forget about the post because Jordan Brown's the preseason Sunbelt player of the year. But it does free up guys like Greg Williams and, and, and Garnett and those guys to really get good looks. But Troy is the best three-point defending team in the league. Troy is so good on the perimeters defensively. Again, they do take a lot of chances. They're second in the league in steals. That, to me, is going to be a real key to this game, other than, you know, the um, you know the post-presence of Jordan Brown and how in the world anybody tries to defend that guy. Watch the arc in this game. If Troy is able to get out there and, and, and close out shooters and maybe get a hand or two in the face of Garnett and, and Williams and those three-point snipers. I think Troy stands a decent chance tonight. Without it, they do not. You know, Barry, looking at the, the Sunbelt Conference as a whole, are you, are you a little surprised with how tight everything has been in, in the Sunbelt? Because it feels like in years past, by this point of the year at least, there, there's a, a team starting to run away with it. But, I mean, right now you've got 
six teams yeah. within a game of, within of the a game lead. Of first, yep. It, it's been it's been it's been a surprise that the uh, that the new entries into the league have been so good so quick. I, I know those are good programs, Southern Miss and and. Um, and Marshall are tied with the Cajuns at the top of the league. Uh, JMU is right there, right behind Troy, uh, maybe two games out right now. Um, and, of course, Old Dominion is a quality program as well. They've assimilated themselves really well into this. I think how even the league is is reflective on just how balanced the team, the league is. We've, Troy has played the top teams in the league, and they'll play one tonight. You know, they've played – the um, James Madisons, and they've played the Southern Misses, but Troy has also played the Arkansas States and um, the Georgia States, which are near the bottom of the league. I'm just telling you, there is not a ton of difference. Like maybe sometimes we've seen in the past in the league where a Georgia State or a South Alabama or a um, or a uh, Louisiana, you know, was markedly just simply just better than everybody else and could figure they can go into a venue and didn't necessarily have to play great to win a game. Well, I guarantee you there's not that this year. You, you cannot in this league play less than your best and just automatically expect to get a W anywhere in the Sunbelt Conference. Chatting with Barry McKnight, the radio voice of the Troy, the Troy Trojans. So, Barry, you talked about the Troy's three-point defense against the Cajuns' three-point offense. What other matchups are you really looking forward to seeing tonight inside the Cajun? Well, I like the, uh, I, I like the, the challenge of Jordan Brown. And, and I, you know, this is not just Troy speaking. This is every team in the league. Uh, you know, with all respect to the three-point shooters, and Louisiana's got the best in the league so far, I guarantee you any coach, whenever they're scouting Louisiana, the first thing they're going to try to answer is how do we stop Jordan Brown? That's going to be, that's going to be interesting. Uh, Zay Williams, um, again, very good defensively. He gives up about 35 or 40 pounds. He's going to have to have some help down low from people like Nate Chimonga and Christian Turner. That's the other thing that's just obvious to look at. The other thing about it is Troy lately has not been terrific at starting games. You know, they got off to a good start against JMU uh, last week. But other than that, Troy has been slow starting offensively. That's a real concern because, you know, you get down to this Cajuns team big early on, and good luck afterwards. Troy needs to stay connected in this game. If not, you know, get a lead early in this game. At least they need to give themselves a chance in the second half by staying close at the start. The Troy Trojans and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns meeting Inside the Cajun Dome tonight, it's the start of a four-game home stretch for the Cajuns. Barry McKnight is the voice of the Trojans. He joins us here on the game hotline. Barry, appreciate your time as always. Have a great call tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to the next chance. Appreciate you visiting. And there he goes, Barry McKnight, the voice of the Trojans. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Now that you've scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can use it to listen to the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Just ask Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana, and it's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Wrapping up today's show here on Crunch Time, Matt and Miguez, James Mesh. So James has this belief that Zach Wilson is is very bad. Jamarcus Russell 2.0. He's pretty much up there. Please, what like what have you seen from him? And, where and, you're like, and yet, and yet, people call me an instant gratification guy. What have you seen in these first two years for you to be like he could be something? He could be a legit starter. Consistency. What has he consistently done? I mean, his numbers have throw been, interceptions. His numbers have been fairly consistent in in both of he throws for about two fifty a game. Has an even touchdown to interception ratio in both years. He throws more interceptions than touchdowns. He had one more interception than touchdowns. Six to seven. Nice. He only played nine games. And he played with the Jets. (sighs) Played with the Jets. James, their offense was putrid this year. Wonder why. Oh, oh God! I wonder you, why you, you think you think that's why they were bad. So that's a big reason why. Oh, so the offensive coordinator that they had to fire had nothing to do with it. I think Zach Wilson's play is also okay. a part of it. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a part of it, but I'm you, saying you, it's think, a, it's a you pretty, think Zach Wilson's part of it was the biggest part of it. Him and the him and the OC weren't very good together. So give him a good OC and see what he can do. Maybe he'll throw more touchdowns than interceptions. You see, that's the thing. You just have no faith in Zach Wilson. Because after two years, after two poor... He showed me nothing. After two poor starts to the year... Other other than a strong arm, what does he have? Speed? A little bit of mobility. And he still gets sacked a bunch. Poor offensive line. That it it has improved. Their offensive line is not great. Let him work with Nathaniel Hackett, a second-year Garrett Wilson, and that defense. I think he could be a much-improved player. Now, if he has a third bad year, then we can talk about writing him off. But after his second season where he didn't even play a full year? Come on, man. That's like saying that's like after his second year in the league saying, "Oh, Tom Brady needs to go." Brady wasn't good his first couple years in the league. A lot of guys weren't good in the year in their in the league their first couple of years. Jalen Hurts, he wasn't great. Drew Brees, he wasn't great. You have a lot of guys that take a couple years to get assimilated to the NFL. Now, is Zach Wilson maybe a little overhyped? Sure. Is he a bad quarterback? No, I don't think so. I think there's a big difference between those two statements. Saying that Zach Wilson is the second largest bust in the history of the NFL, bit of a stretch. Well, I mean, he was taken number two overall, and in two years, he's got three more interceptions than touchdowns. It's not looking good. 
It's not trending in the direction that you want it to be at all. So after two years, he's the second biggest bust in NFL history. He's getting up there. Okay. I disagree wholeheartedly, but, I mean, everybody is entitled to, to their own opinion, I guess. Look at the poll question one more time. Where will Aaron Rodgers play next season? 33% still say the Packers. 27% say he will overtake Zach Wilson in New York. 17% say the Raiders. And then 25% say other. I don't see him going anywhere other than one of those three teams. Uh, And I really don't see him returning to the Packers. Colts? Uh, We were talking about it yesterday. Uh, You're out on it already? Dude, they don't even have a head coach yet. It's going to be El Jefe. Come on. It's probably. Gonna, but you don't you don't have it, it, you don't but, have but Jeff see, Saturday. You don't have Jeff Saturday. That's the thing. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm going nah. Not there. Not it. It's it's too similar to Green Bay. At that point you might as well just go back to Green Bay. I like him going I like him going to the Jets more than the Colts, but I'm seeing a similar situation with how it was in Green Bay. I'm thinking in it, Indianapolis. I'm thinking it's the Jets or the Raiders. But if it's a similar situation in Indianapolis than it is in Green Bay, why not just go back to Green Bay? Because at least you have more weapons, I guess you could say, to work with. Do you? Do you? It's not like other than the two running backs. You, I, Christian Watson's okay, but I'd pr- I'd much prefer Michael Pittman. Interesting. I'd rather I'd rather go with the Colts receiving core. But that's just me. Thanks to Chris Connor, Brian Peacock, and Barry McKnight for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we'll be back tomorrow for a Friday fun show right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.